Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. souls hunt the living, the living whose bodies are the only food for these ungodly creatures. Shattering than your strangest nightmare. Night of the living dead. A night with the dead who cannot die. A night of total terror. Night. Of the living dead. Alright guys, welcome to the Halloween episode, the Halloween special for the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your ghost, Jimbo, and my fellow co-ghost is... Terrence. Terrence. Yeah. And he's not a zombie today, even though we will be talking about a zombie movie. Um, so, for those of you that have uh, been following on the Facebook group, uh, and even our last couple of episodes... Um, this is a continuation or a, a fuller version of what we did on the uh, Halloween special for Hillbilly Horror Stories of the original Night of the Living Dead. Um, we only had a select amount of time to cover what we could cram in there uh, in about 10 minutes. So we are expanding on that for this Halloween special for this year. So, Terrence. This is the full bit of it. The full night. <laughs> <laughs> um 
And, and can I just say something? What about that trailer we just heard uh, in the opening, you know, where it's like, night, and then I thought it was over, and like <laughs> and 12 pause. seconds later, of the, the living, living dead. dead. <laughs> right. So, Terrence, let's go ahead and take away the night of the living dead. All right. Night of the living dead. Release date, October 4th, 1968. Uh, its budget was... Hundred and fourteen thousand dollars. Hundred and fourteen thousand. So very low budget that, film. I think you made more than that last year working, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> and then, um, uh, if you account for inflation and stuff, that is uh, eight hundred and fifty-two point six thousand today, which still is considered low budget for today's standards. Um, then we have its box office. Now this is both national and uh, worldwide combined uh, of a thirty million. If you account for inflation, that's two hundred twenty-four point three million. So, uh, Romero's laughing all the way to the bank on oh, that one. Yeah. Uh, well, man, we will really see. Low they're, budget they're, film, and but we will see. I don't know if he got all. We'll, oh, we'll get yeah, it to the notes. That's right. <laughs> uh, this runtime, we're looking at about ninety-six minutes. Uh, this was directed by obviously George A. Romero, who is known for basically the Dead series. So, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, Dawn of the Dead, um, Land of the Dead, so on and so forth. Uh, and then, you know, he continues to do, um, or he continued to do a bunch of uh, low-budget movies after that. Um, this was also written by George A. Romero and John A. Russo, who was also known to write for a lot of uh, lower-budget horror movies. Um, and speaking of, uh, we're going to look at the box office uh, during that year. I couldn't find the exact date or even the month, but I was able to find the year for 1968, uh, for the top five, um, we're looking at uh, at number one, Funny Girl. I'm not familiar with it. Uh, I've seen it. It's um, I want to say Barbara Streisand. Okay, gotcha. Uh, number two, we have two thousand uh, Stanley Kubrick's two thousand one, A Space Odyssey, which I am familiar <laughs> with. Uh, then we have uh, number three, The Odd Couple. Number four, Bullet, and number five, Romeo and Juliet. Some um, good movies on there. And uh, I was going to see where, where this movie landed on it, but I think it was so low budget, it just it wasn't on the list at all. Um, so I found that interesting. Uh, so now we're going to go off to into the technical specs. Um, uh, we have cinematographer George A. Romero, uh, and this was also edited by George A. Romero. So he wore a lot of hats. I mean, that's how, that's typically how these low budget films uh, go. Uh, you get you get a lot of people doing a lot of different things, and you'll see as we go through uh, some of the background of this movie um, of how they reused a lot of different people. They started using family members and stuff like that. <laughs> um, this production company was Image Ten, which is owned by George Romero. <laughs> And uh, a little funny, interesting background on Image 10. Just recently, back in 2018, during the 50th anniversary of this movie, uh, they actually did uh, a screening in Pittsburgh, um, to which uh, uh, the theater uh, host... Uh, had an interesting comment where he's like, "It's it's not often where you get to you know screen the same movie fifty years later in the same, <laughs> in the same theater, theater where it originally premiered, uh, you know yeah. during its 50th anniversary." So I thought that was really cool. Um, as far as I know, uh, there was only a handful of movies, all low budget horror films, but um, you know it's a small production company owned by George Marrow, so you know he does with that what he wants. Um, this was distributed by Continental Distributing. Uh, when we have a couple other little notes, I got a couple other notes here. Uh, this film uh, was in collections of uh, the Modern Museum of Arts. Uh, this was restored by the Museum of Modern Arts and the Film Foundation, and uh, they had help 
funding this, the restoration of this movie, uh, by the George Lucas Family Trust and uh, the Celeste Fund, uh, the Celeste and Bardos Fund for Film Preservation. So that, that was some cool little information. Uh, so now we have my favorite part. Oh, he's getting ready to do oh, it. <laughs> the awards. All right. Um, first, we have the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, USA 2018. Uh, they won the Saturn Award for Best DVD Blu-ray Special Edition Release uh, for um, Curation Collection Edition. Uh, so this was the 50th anniversary, um, which they actually released the 50th anniversary edition two years earlier in 2016, uh, but its official was you know in 2018, and that's when it won this award. How yeah. special? How special do you think it is that? For people that grew up without a VCR, DVD, or, or movies at your fingertips, like you went to see this movie, let's say not just this movie, but before this, even a movie when you were a kid, and yeah. you had no way to watch it again, you know what I mean? And then you, it gets restored. And then, and well, and then it gets restored, then you get the joy of having seeing it all over again, you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. Um, I know when I was young, like we talked about The Wizard of Oz, it would come out once a year. Um, every year was a special thing, you know what I mean? So I think a lot of people take for granted how easy we have it right now, which oh, is the absolutely. touch of a fingertip and a swipe of a button. You can have almost any movie that you uh, they've ever made. Heck, so, I mean, even even uh, when I was younger, now given it wasn't as unaccessible, but it was still like you'd see it in theater, and then you would maybe maybe get the you know v, uh, VCR release. VHS, uh, but other yeah. than that, the, yeah, the VHS release. So, uh, but other than that, you. You have to catch it in a movie theater that showed like movies that have already come out or, right. or, and stuff like that. But like nowadays, yeah, literally touch your fingertips. You're like, man, I haven't seen this movie in a while. Ding. Just type it in. <laughs> All right, let me just buy that for a couple bucks uh, off of whatever you know streaming thing. And or heck, maybe it's even on Hulu or like you know right. Netflix or something, and then you're watching it just like that. <laughs> amazing technology is an amazing thing, right? Uh, next, we got uh, Horror Host Hall of Fame 2011. Uh, we got a winner of Horror Host Hall of Fame plaque. Uh, Behind the Screams, George A. Romero. Uh, National Film Preservation Board, it hit that in USA 1999 uh, for the National Film Registry. It was finally released. And I, uh, what was it? It had to has to be like 20, 30 years after. No, no it was like 30. Something. Yeah, something yeah 30, crazy. 40 years. Uh, well, we uh, just did Ghostbusters yesterday, and I think it got in in 2015. Yeah. And it came out, what, what was it, 84? Uh, 84, yeah. So I think it's 30 years. So, you know, uh, it's something we covered in one of our previous episodes, you know, where it has to be out for X amount of years. And if it's, you know, an iconic movie, more or less, uh, it gets put in the National Film Registry. Uh, then we have the Rando Hatton Classic Horror Awards in 2018. Uh, it won the Rando uh, Statuette for Best Blu-ray DVD uh, for Curation, Best Restoration, and uh, Best DVD Extra, uh, Night of the Anubis Workprint. Um, actually, since uh, this is one of the newer awards that uh, I haven't seen before, um, every now and then I like to cover the background of some of these award uh, shows and or ceremonies and see what they're about, see where they come from and stuff like that. So for this Halloween special, um, I chose the Rando Hatton Classic Horror Awards. Um, and this one's interesting because it's just a fan-based award uh, show where the public votes on a variety of individuals, entities, and media nom uh, uh, nominated within the horror genre. And um, they give them horror Oscars is what they call them. And it's actually a pretty coveted prize within the horror community because um, typically, I mean, of course you have your AAA uh, uh, you know, high blockbuster 
horror movies, but a good majority of horror movies are typically like lower budget. Um, and there, there's, it, it's a pretty tight knit community. Um, you know, they got conventions and stuff and, uh, um, it's kind of like an everybody knows everybody kind of thing. So it's, it's pretty cool that they, they take these random, uh, these random horror, uh, Hatton classic awards and, um, you know, they just come together and they vote on what they think is, you know, the best for, you know, whatever, uh, within the horror community. And this actually, this came out, uh, in 2002 is when they gathered, um, and they've been doing it since then. So that, that's what I got for the Rando Hatton Classic Horror Awards. Pretty nice. And now we have the synopsis. A group of strangers find themselves trapped in a farmhouse, surrounded by flesh-eating zombies. Although they're never called zombies, exactly. In this movie. Um, I do. What is, they call them? Flesh eaters. Yeah, I think, they call them flesh eaters. I think that's just, that's the only uh, sort of moniker they come up with. I think there's one other thing. Uh, like, I don't want to say the Walking Dead, but something yeah. like that. <laughs> uh, so now we're going to move on to the cast, which has been bestowed upon me. Uh, so we're going to just because we we know <laughs> it's Halloween and you're going to butcher something on here. So it's one of these at least. Uh, so we're going to start with uh, Dwayne Jones as Ben. Um, uh, who is, you know, the main character in this movie. Uh, so what's interesting is, um, uh, and very cool is they, they chose an African American for this act, uh, for this role and uh, a little background on sort of how his role kind of evolved is, uh, what we see in the movies that was, was actually was originally mm-hmm. supposed to be how that character was supposed to be. I believe he was supposed to be like a, a truck driver. Like a truck driver. Yeah. Um, but Dwayne insisted that uh, he wanted to uh, appear more, you know, intelligent and distinguished, um, to which, you know, him and Romero had some talks and they agreed in the end to change the character. And then we got we got in the movie. But I don't know if it ever actually says in the movie what he did for a living, though. No, it doesn't. But he's not a rough, tough uh, exactly. trucker. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What you got from it. Um. Uh, he also went to appear in other films uh, after Night of the Living Dead, including uh, Ganja and Hess and Beat Street in 1984, uh, and continued working as a theater actor and director until his death in 1988. Uh, despite other film roles, uh, Jones was worried that uh, people only recognized him as Ben. Um, so you know, <laughs> well, it's it, an iconic role. Man, exactly. You know? I mean, it's 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 a obviously you know just looking at the numbers and uh, looking at some of the awards and stuff, you can tell that you know it's a highly coveted movie. Just you know, years and years later, um, so I, I I can see sort of the fear of being like attached forever to like that one role, kind of like we saw uh, the sort of more extreme version of someone being attached to a role is um, you know back in Psycho, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, exactly. So you know, he got typecasted hardcore after that because he was always known. Not as, Hopkins, uh, Anthony Perkins. Uh, Anthony Perkins. Yeah, because uh, he was always known as <laughs> Anthony uh, Hopkins. Man, <laughs> he was always known as uh, uh, Norman Bates. Right. So um, that's I, why he I, did I Psycho too. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I, I can see how Dwayne uh, didn't want to, you know, constantly be seen as Ben. Uh, next, we got uh, Judith Odea as Barbara. Uh, and here's what's interesting. So, Odea performed her own stunts, uh, which she jokingly claimed uh, amounted to a lot of running. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's that's pretty cool. Um, uh, next, we got Carl Hardman as Harry Cooper, uh, one of the film's producers, alongside. Uh, ooh, here's a name I'm gonna butcher. Um, Strenier? Strenier? 
Hmm. Uh, Hardman also provided uh, the voice of the newscaster heard uh, on the radio in Johnny's car. So that's pretty cool. So he was both one of the uh, characters and radio voice. We have Marilyn Easton Eastman as Helen Cooper. We have Keith Wayne as Tom. Judith Riley as Judy. And then we have uh, Kira Xiong as Karen Cooper. A um, little bit cool information here that we got highlighted is um, this is Hardman's daughter in real life. Uh, an 11-year-old daughter, um, uh, Sean, also per- portrayed a- the mangled corpse <laughs> on the house upstairs floor that Ben drags away. All right. So that's pretty funny. Um, Charles Craig as the TV newscaster slash one of the ghouls. Uh, Bill Heinzman uh, as a ghoul encountered by Barbara and Johnny in the cemetery. So yeah, he's the first zombie. Yeah, he's the very first zombie. So uh, what's interesting during the production of this film, still not referred to as zombies, they referred to him as ghouls during the production mm-hmm. of the film. Um, I, I don't think the term zombie was actually coined like pop culture wise until later. Mm-hmm. Um, they were known as like undead ghouls, stuff like that. Um, we have uh, Russell Sternier, uncredited as Johnny. Uh, who later served as a producer for the 1990 remake of the film, uh, in which he also has a cameo appearance as the sheriff in that movie. Uh, then we have Bill, Chili Billy, uh, <laughs> Cardial. <laughs> I like how they put his nickname in here, Chili Billy. Uh, he was the TV Channel 11 news reporter as himself. Which actually explains why they put his nickname in here. <laughs> right. Well, because, I mean, it was filmed around Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania, you know what I mean? So they yeah. just used, like, even a lot of the police force and extras were from this Pittsburgh, you know what I yep. mean? So they used some of the Pittsburgh newscasters and all a that, A lot of the community too, so. came in to, to help Yeah, I think there was movie. 200 a- extras or whatever that yeah. came in to help. So is that the cast? That, that is the cast that for this cast. movie. All right. So when we talk about this movie, there's going to be basically three locations. One is the cemetery. Yep. Uh, where it starts. One is the house, and the other one is basically, hey, the zombies. <laughs> or, exactly, you know, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's basically your threshold of this movie. So uh, when I go through my notes, it's going to be jumbled around, and we'll just jump around. But just know it's one of those three things, or there's a special effect for something in there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, like you said, this was uh, gross about $30 million, um, which is over 263 times its budget. I mean, yeah. that's just crazy. Um, it was shot in a period of only 30 days, which is amazing. Um, yeah. Because even Romero was, uh, you know, had the camera at some point in that. And this actually comes down to uh, just how filming was done back then. Um, and even now, you, you only have a certain amount of, you know, room to film these. And especially back then, uh, you're, you're filming on to film. So you get a couple chances to rehearse. But once it's filmed, you got to get it. Right. Especially with these low budget films, because you know you got trying- one shot because exactly. the film costs so much. Exactly. So uh, you know that that would come into why you know this took thirty days uh, to shoot. Right. Um, and also, they didn't know what they could do with these zombies, if you will, uh, that would make it so horrible and so horrific that it'd be something new. And then they thought, well, what if they just cannibalize their victims? You know what I mean? And the, yeah. I mean, what man. What a better way to go, man. I mean, I was just like... So, um, the uh, when they got done finish this film, um, 
Romero said that as soon as they got done editing the film in Pittsburgh, they put the reels into the cans, threw it into the trunk of the car, and drove straight to New York City that night in hopes of having it screened at any willing theater. So, I mean, he didn't waste no time. Once he said, oh, it's in the can, we're gone. Let's do it. Um, throughout this movie, a lot of uh, the zombies and a lot of the effects of blood, if you will, um, it was all Bosco chocolate syrup. Uh, so I think a that was really cool. Yeah. from Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought that was cool. Um, when the zombies are eating the bodies in the burnout truck, they were actually eating roast ham covered in chocolate sauce. That doesn't even sound good. It makes me want to vomit. Uh, the filmmaker jokes that it was so nauseous-inducing that it was almost a waste of time putting the makeup on the zombies as they ended up looking like pale and sick anyway. So that's hilarious. I, I was just like, man, that sounds really, really interesting. Um, so... This is uh, sadly this was one of the last big hits of the drive-in era. Um, Got it. I think they're making a comeback though, Terrence. Thanks to oh COVID. yeah, with uh, yeah with COVID being right. around and all. Uh, screenwriter Johnny Russo uh, Russo appears as the zombie who gets killed by Ben with a tire iron. He also allowed himself to be set on fire for real when nobody else wanted to do the stunt. <laughs> Romero approved of his co-writer's zombie walk. Uh, I was probably hungover. Russo stated so. <laughs> so in the very beginning, when he's walking around, he's just hungover. Right. Um, George A. Romero chose Evans Cemetery for the first scene due to largely its isolated uh, location. He didn't want a bunch of people coming up and bothering yeah. while they're trying to film this scene. Um, and a fun fact: while they were there, a tornado ripped through there. And pulled, I think they said like a hundred bodies from the ground. Yeah. Uh, so the dead did walk evidently that day. <laughs> I mean, I, that would just be creepy in itself. You know what I mean? Exactly. Um, they said the entire cast had, uh, cast had nothing but positive things to say about Dwayne Jones. Uh, Marilyn Eastman would later say uh, that he was a tortured individual due to American racial tensions during the late 60s. Uh, Hardman became actually good friends with Jones, and in Jones' death in 1980, affected him greatly. He would often become emotional when talking about Jones and believed he received a raw deal in life due to the nation's racial tensions at the time. Yeah. So, um, in his final interview before his death, Dwayne Jones admitted he had never seen any of the other Dead movies nor any other George A. Romero movie. Interesting. So I thought, hmm, that's very I mean, interesting. Could, he could just be, you know, just. I wonder not, if he watched this movie again, movie though. Guy. But I wonder if he watched his own movie again. I would imagine so. I mean, at least, at least some people during don't. The, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure they had you know within Pittsburgh like a, 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 a red carpet or something, like a, at least like a premiere release for like the locals. Yeah, but I know some people don't even like. There's some people that don't even watch the movies that they finished. You know, what I mean, they're like I'm that's not true. Go see yeah. it, so I mean, there's there's a lot of actors I know of who who uh, it's it's interesting because they're in films, but they're not you know movie people. They they tend to you know do other things with their time. Right. Um, Barbara was supposed to be a real strong, charismatic character, which she's just a blubbering idiot half this movie. Um, but she does, uh, in the remake, they make her a strong woman character. I gotcha. think she's the only one that survives, if I remember right. I actually haven't seen the remake. I've seen this. Terrence. I haven't seen the remake. Yeah, it's just because I made you watch this. <laughs> <laughs> um, the house that they used in this was going to be torn down anyway, so they got it really cheap. Um, but it didn't have a true basement. It actually had a dirt floor uh, in the cellar. So uh, the the long, they had no staircase going down to it. As a result, the basement scenes were filmed in a different place in the editing, editing studio cellar in downtown Pittsburgh. So there you go. It, didn't, it was just dirt floor down there. Um, actor and co-producer Carl Hardman, um, who was the father in the basement, also served as the makeup artist, electronic sounds effect engineer, 
and took the still photos at the closing of the credits, you know, where they're taking the yeah. photos. So he had a, he was a man of many hats too. Once again, you know, just due to the low budget of this, there's yeah, a lot Yeah, but he had to act too. Though, oh, yeah, know, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, wow. Um, Romero originally hired Tom Savini. Um, if you don't know, do you know who Tom Savini is? I'm going to say no with a look. The name is me. absolutely familiar. Just... He, he, he does a lot of the uh, space, special effect makeups in horror movies. Uh, okay, got day, it. So... Um, Savini was able to do the effects because he was in the U.S. Army serving as a combat photographer in Vietnam. Uh, Savini later appeared in Dawn of the Dead in 1978, and he also directed Night of the Living Dead in 1990. Um, in the cemetery scene, uh, Barbara and Johnny, they're coming for get you. <laughs> they're coming to get you, Barbara. Barbara. Yeah, I mean, that's a quoted... Uh, but the uh, the actors actually had to hold their breath to avoid visible condensation in the frosty autumn air. Because it was I so mean, cold. But, I mean, Barbara's running around that cemetery and everything. I mean, it would be hard for her when she breathed, you know, not right. that. So. Surprised they pulled it off. Uh, this is one of the first films to depict a graphically depict a violent murder on the screen. It's also one of the first films to have a black person as a main character. Uh, the first uh, world premiere was at the Fulton Theater in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania on October 1st, 1968 at 8 p.m. by admission by invitation only. The film was met with a standing ovation. Um, Romero, Romero uh, admitted that Herrick Harvey's Carnival of Souls, have you seen that, from 1962, was a big influence on making this film. Hmm, I haven't seen Carnival of Souls. Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this I thought was really great. Uh, one of the publicity sent by the Walter Reed organization was a fifty thousand dollar life or insurance policy against anyone dying from a heart attack while watching the film. Oh man, that's hilarious! <laughs> uh, now regarded as a classic, this film attracted considerable c- criticism at the time of its release for its graphic gore and violence. Um, kids these days. <laughs> <laughs> um, George A. Romero, this is very sad, saw very little profit from this film. Due to his lack of knowledge regarding distribution deals, the distributors walked away with practically all of the profits. Oh, man. Did you just see how much he, they made and, and how much they walked away? He very little. Right. Yeah. So he lost. He didn't get any of that, man. That's sad. It's a highway robbery. Um, so the house we we're talking about, um, they had to clean up the farmhouse to make it look livable because it was it was in shambles. They were yeah, like I said, they were going to destroy it. Yeah. Um, so he noticed that the kitchen was the first room they cleaned, and they felt that they needed to have a clean place for lunch. Um, that it would be the most important factor with having a workable set where everybody could actually yeah. meet and eat and all that. Um, the body upstairs that was played by uh, was it Karen Cooper or uh, what's the little girl's name at the um, time? Uh, Kira. Uh, Sean, right? But what was Karen Cooper? Karen, yeah. Yeah. So they to use um, her eyes were used. They were ping pong balls for her <laughs> eyes. I mean, when you shoot in black and white, you can get away with a lot more stuff than you shooting really in color. Yeah. So that makes the effects a lot a lot different. Uh, like we talked about, the word zombie is never ever used in this movie. Um, the characters are referred to creatures as ghouls and flesh eaters. Yeah, what's interesting is is this movie actually coined a lot of zombie tropes that are used today, such as, you know, the shambling walk, the fact that they eat flesh, a, a lot of different things. But let's things. talk about that for a minute, because that first zombie, he was kind of quick. He wasn't, you know, yeah. he wasn't a... a, a <laughs> so he was... He was, he was walking he around, was on something. But, you know, I, 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 later in the movie is when you see him more shambling than, like, kind of... Really coming All right, I'm going to throw this out here right now since you, you got me on a roll. So <laughs> when Johnny falls in the cemetery and hits his head, you know, the zombie oh, yeah, yeah. Hits, hits him and busts his skull open. Why does he come back as a zombie? 
the way to kill a zombie is by bashing their skull in it. So if he hit his skull on the tombstone, there's no way he should be able to come back. Inconsistencies. Man. Unless he snapped his <laughs> neck instead of his head. I could be. But it. still, he would be walking like you know, like Some this kind of instead. Way, right. Of, right. Uh, I just thought that was that was interesting. And there's but, a, there's a couple other niches I'll have at the end of that I want to throw out there too. But yeah, that, that one really like fun little inconsistencies. Yeah, that one really bothered me. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, but yeah, uh, the, the biggest interesting thing is yeah, this <clears throat> excuse me, uh, this movie really influenced uh, future movies about zombies. I mean. We, the we Walking just, Dead, for sure. Oh, yeah. They already said it. Um, and heck, even, uh, I mean, uh, we're no longer in it, but I mean, for a couple years, it, it felt like zombie thing after zombie thing after zombie thing. I mean, there's a bunch of zombie movies, bunch of zombie games, bunch of just zombie everything. Um, but yeah, this is all, you know, the, thanks to this movie, really. A lot of, a lot of its influence and uh, a lot of, you know, f- future filmmakers mm-hmm. were influenced by this movie. And I think that's really cool. Uh, Russell Striner's mother owned uh, the Barbara and Johnny's car that they drive in the cemetery. Uh, the scene was shot over two days, but unfortunately, while the car was parked during a break, someone ran into the car, leaving a dent that was easily visible on camera. Romero rewrote the scene so the car came to stop after crashing into the tree. So if you remember when Barbara gets in the car and she hits the brake and it slows down, yeah. if you watch it, when it goes down, you'll see that she's going down and it only shows on the one side. Then it looks like she hits the tree. And if you look at the front left bumper behind the or the front left behind the wheel uh it's just cream dude and there's no way she hit the tree there you know what yeah, I mean? exactly. it's cream <laughs> i thought that was pretty cool that he wrote that in there just to kind of cover that um after Dwayne jones sets the chair on fire gary striner russell striner's brother was supposed to extinguish the flames and set the chair on fire again to preserve continuity ensuring that the smoke would be em- emanating from its near the end of the film at one point gary's sleeve actually caught on fire as he ran in terror, uh, Heinzman, who was in the full zombie makeup from the cemetery at the time, yeah. tackled him to the ground and helped extinguish the flames, saving him from major injury. Wow. So I bet that zombie moved <laughs> in, you know what I mean? Right. I just thought that was really cool, you know what I mean? Um, the U.S. movie rating system was instituted in November 1968. This film, released on October 1st, 1968, is one of the last films released in the U.S. without a rating. Oh, wow. So maybe that's why, you know... I wonder if they ever gave it one afterwards, or did they just leave it unrated? I don't know. Uh, uh, what would you What would you rate it? I, I think it probably got an NR, probably. Yeah, I probably would say. Yeah. Um, one thing too with this, the cemetery zombie, he, there's, I always come back to the cemetery zombie because he starts <laughs> it off. Because in some of the scenes, his suit coat's buttoned up, and the other scenes, it's unbuttoned, and then it's buttoned back up, and it just drives me crazy because a zombie doesn't care about what he looks like, you right. know what I mean? And it just drives me crazy. Maybe this one does. <laughs> yeah. Um, at the beginning of the film, when Barbara and Johnny are approaching the correct gravesite, a figure in black jumps behind a large headstone right behind them. Um, so this is some little spoofs in there. Yeah. Uh, when Johnny is teasing Barbara in the cemetery, he runs away as the first zombie approaches. He stops and looks back at her. And just as he stops, someone ducks into the trees in the background. Uh, when Johnny gets out of his car, the car window reflects the camera and the head of the crew member of uh, some crew member. Uh, here we go. Uh, the music used in this film was in the public domain from a Capitol EMI Records High Q stock music library. It was originally used in Teenagers from Outer Space from 1959 and cost the filmmakers $1,500 to use. So out of that $114,000, it took, what, $1,500 of that right there. Wow. So, Terrence, did you find out the rating? Yeah, NR. Ah, see. I know a little bit about movies. <laughs> uh, other conflicts of budget and the area in which the film was made, including shooting on 35 millimeter print, but only having equipment to edit on a 16 millimeter. 
The crew had to transfer all the footage to 16mm before they could work on editing it. Russo also notes that they rarely had time or film for more than one take on any shot, and they had no way of checking it. He had to trust Romero was getting every shot just right. The sound was also mixed without seeing the picture. So you talk about editing yeah. process. So so this this is without like a lot of the technology you see today where you're able to do all of this, which is you're able to, especially because you know, a lot of things are digital, unless it's, there's some directors still today who make the choice to, to film on 70 millimeter prints instead of digitally. Um, but I mean, you, you can see, you have screens where you can see what you're filming and then you have screens that you can preview sort of uh, what you're, the visuals while uh, during filming. Uh, typically after you film a scene, they'll quickly review it um, decide to do a retake or not. Um, but this, they didn't have any of that. They didn't they have just, any, they didn't have the money. Camera. Yeah, exactly. So they just had the cameras and they just had to go with it. This is one thing that bothers me in this film. This, this, the scene I'm about to talk to. And then one later in the film, but when Barbara's running from the zombie in the cemetery and she jumps in her car and, and locks the doors or whatever, and rolls yeah. the windows up, the zombie picks up a rock and he starts bashing the window. Yeah. Now my, my, my thought is, Okay, is is he full fledged zombie? Does he still have some partial memory from his human form? Yeah, you know it was kind of weird. Um, but he does start smashing that window, and when he smashed the window, Romero was actually in the back seat filming, and he almost got cut by the glass because he he shattered that window. So that's something that you know it was the, actually the rock almost missed him. But I'm just saying that it's something that I was like, yeah, I don't know, and that, we'll find out a little bit a little bit about Karen later on. Same thing. Yeah. Um. None of the cast are credited at the start of this film, uh, probably because there's no really stars in the film. You know, they're all nobodies. Uh, <laughs> during the struggle between Johnny and uh, the cemetery zombie, uh, Johnny accidentally knees the zombie. Yeah. In the groin. Poor zombie down, zombie down. Uh, this is really, this is really, really interesting right here. Romero originally wanted to cast Betty Aberlene of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in 1968 as Barbara. Fred Rogers would not allow her to do the film. She was known as Lady Aberlene, Kitty, Mama Bear, uh, Betty, Josephine, in 495 episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood from 1968 to 2001. Which I can see, uh, especially when it comes to... Uh, properties that are geared towards you know children and stuff like that they, they're typically very protective uh especially if it's an ongoing thing like you know mr rogers neighborhood um, and he was a so great prominent. guy man. Absolutely. did you watch that documentary um, i still have to watch that documentary it, but i got I heard it, it's so, really good oh man um, movie to tears i think we need to do that one of these yeah, days definitely. but i mean it is so good and he was he genuinely cared about kids you know what i mean yeah. he cared about the well-being and where the nation was going raising their kids and i just love that guy to peace we need more mr rogers in these neighborhoods <laughs> right um <laughs> But yeah, I, I can totally understand uh, why he he was like, no, you know, she's very connected with this uh, with this property we have going that you know kids look to, and you know he didn't want that to be connected with you know this really scary zombie movie. So that's that's understandable. But I, I wonder if she would have wanted to do it anyway. She may not have wanted to do it anyway, even if Miss Rogers would have said she could do it. She may have said, no, I don't want to. That's true. You never know. Um, Romero's always got asked if the tombstone Barbara is kneeling in front of was fake or not. And he said, are you kidding? <laughs> can't afford uh, Russo said, we can't afford fake tombstone <laughs> back in those days. So great. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I mean. Uh, so there were two trucks used during the filming of this. The first one used in the beginning of the film would not start for the trek to go up to the gas pump scene. And had to be replaced. Uh, unfortunately, they forgot to break the headlights on it. Uh, much of the dialogue, just like Ghostbusters, was improvised. 
which is really inter- really interesting. Especially with one take. Right. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? Well, it's not only is it one yeah. take, but it, it's improvised. I mean, that just that just shows, uh, you know, really gives you the respect for this movie of, of how it turned out, just despite all these, you know, restrictions and whatnot. Right. This was ranked, uh, Entertainment Weekly ranked this as the 13th scariest movie of all time. I remember watching it as a kid, and there's some scenes in there. I mean, it never really scared me. Yeah. But it was still pretty cool. The people at Walter Reed decided to change the title to Night of the Living Dead uh, when the new title was prepared for the film itself because it was normally going to be titled, Romero's title was going to be Night of the Flesh Eaters. Hmm. Um, They failed to realize that the copyright notice appeared on screen under the original title. As a result, release prints of Night of the Living Dead were made without a copyright notice. At that time in 1968, this meant that this film, by default, fell into the public domain. Oh, wow. The filmmakers (laughs) lost untold millions of dollars when unauthorized 35mm and 16mm prints were made, and especially in the home video era when video copies were widely available to the public without any fees being paid. Wow. So, as great of a movie as this was, they really dropped the ball in several spots. You know yeah. what I mean? They I lost mean, that, millions. That just goes to show, like, it's it's not an easy task just to make a film. But, I mean, there's all these, like, legal things that you have to go through to make sure that if your film makes it, you get that money. Right. And Make sure you, know. you double-check those contracts, you know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Double-check the contracts. Make sure your copyright's, you know, correct. It's... Uh, there's a there's a lot of extra to it, you know. It's this not is just filming and editing, you know. Right. This is hilarious too. They, they're saying uh, allegedly George Romero never did his own laundry during filming. No, he didn't have other people doing his laundry. He just bought new clothes every day or every time. <laughs> wow. I mean, I wonder if that went towards his budget out of his pocket. I don't know. It's part of this hundred fourteen thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Though silly putty. Do you ever play with silly putty, Terrence? Oh yeah. Okay. The silly putty and other basic special effects techniques were used. Most of the body parts, the zombies we'll call them are eating were real internal organs and bones from animals and a lot of the actors playing the flesh eater roles were friends and advertising and clients russell and romero were in contact with uh quote they were all commercial clients of ours that we considered uh, staid people ordinary and it just stunned us that they chomped down into these uh, animal organs yeah oh, I, I mean i don't know if i could do it i'd be throwing yeah, up. I, I don't think i could either yeah you could you'd eat anything <laughs> Um, you already talked about that. Uh, the, like I said, the car belonged to Johnny's mother. Um, Johnny, he's not credited in the film. Um, but Russell mentions that a lot of people saved a lot of money by casting themselves uh, into small roles. So yeah. th- that's why they saved a lot of money uh, for making this movie. So I thought that was interesting that they're trying to help get this movie made. Um, unfortunately... The basement uh, used for the farmhouse's basement uh, was also served as a prop storage during production <laughs> and random storage for the crew during post-production. During this time, a flood destroyed much of Romero and Russo's early film as well as any early work print of Night of the Living Dead. So here we see once again, I, th- I forget what else we were talking about uh, movie-wise, you know, where they found like props in the dumpster or whatever. You yeah. remember that? Um, and here again, it's got destroyed. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just sad. And that, that's why they had to, there was a big push for the restoration of, right. of this. Right. Um, at some point after the film's production, uh, we talked about the tornado hitting the cemetery. Yeah. 200 bodies to the surface. <sighs> Man. Um, Johnny, Sheriff McClellan, and Karen probably have less than 10 minutes of screen time combined, but they're responsible for the film's two most quoted lines. They're coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> and... 
Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, a popular theory is over whether or not the policeman killed Ben at the end was really accidental. As for all the political theories that this film had spawned, um, we talked yeah. about this a little bit. Um, we'll talk more about it after closing. We'll, we'll dive into that. Yeah. So I'm sure that'll come up. Um, the zombie hand that Tom hacks up with a kitchen knife was made of clay filled with chocolate syrup. Once again, the chocolate syrup was used. Um, let's see. The the matricide scene was accomplished by having Kyra Sean stabbed repeatedly into an off-screen pillow with a trowel while a member of the effects crew threw chocolate syrup, which was fake blood, onto the wall, um, which was black and white. Uh, these scenes were looped with scenes of Marilyn Eastman screaming. The troll used in the scene was purchased online years later and is now in a private collection. Hmm. Interesting. So some of the uh, props made it. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, that scene is where the little girl in the basement turns into yeah. a zombie and she kills her mom with a garden hoe, if you will. Yeah. And once again, we see a zombie actually use brains to, and to, using, to grab weapons. And if, tools. And if yeah. we're going for that, hear me out. If we're going with that, that zombies can use tools, why didn't all the zombies surrounding the farmhouse go to the barn, get all the tools out of the barn, and just come into the house? Or at least ones that passed by it. Right. You know? Right. You know what I mean? I was like... It didn't make any sense, uh, but I still love this. Yeah, movie. the intelligence of the zombies are uh, right consistent. Well, usually zombies are like they're dead, so they don't. Yeah, exactly. You know. They're just shambling, <laughs> shambling. Uh, the Walking Dead and the series were greatly influenced by this film. Um, for example, the zombies in the series were not allowed to move any faster than the very first zombie seen in Night of the Living Dead, which was the cemetery zombie. Yeah. And I don't know, man, that guy moved pretty fast. Yeah, he was. He was really, really going for it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Heinzman and Hardman, two of the original $300 investors uh, had, were cast due to a shortage of available talent. Another investor was a butcher who provided some of the blood and guts for the uh, film. This is interesting. This is uh, the plot of this movie, which I never really thought of, and I don't remember until I rewatched it, was the plot was actually, they said that the people returning to zombies, and get me with this, was the radiation of a detonated satellite returning from Venus uh, which is causing the dead to rise and attack the living. According to the filmmakers, though, the actual cause is never determined. They were talking about that on, on the radio during the... That's what I'm saying. No, yeah. no, they say that. Yeah. But my question is, since that happened, anybody died from that point up would still turn into a zombie. It wouldn't just be yeah, exactly. over and done because radiation stays around for a long time. Oh, yeah. I sure. mean, the plot I mean, thickens. It, Excuse me, you know, it could be that whole, like, oh, it's a big government cover-up, and they say it's okay, but it's really not. <laughs> no, the government doesn't do that. Um, when applying makeup for the actors playing zombies, Marilyn Eastman focused less on a rotting appearance uh, for most of them, instead con- concentrating on the prominent facial features that each actor or actress had and making it appear more prominent. Uh, Eastman also played the zombie who eats the bug off the tree. <laughs> Romero points out that no one can tell her it's all underneath um, all the makeup on her face. Miss Eastman did her own makeup for that shot, too, and she looked oh, creepy, wow. dude. Uh, this was credited as the first movie filmed in Pittsburgh. Wow. Bill okay. Cardile, who played the television reporter, was indeed a local Pittsburgh TV celebrity. He hosted a horror program cha- on Channel 11 and occasionally reported the news. Talk about old Chili Billy? Chili Billy. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Chili Billy. Oh, it's Chili Billy. Uh... <laughs> The gas pump that Judith O'Day runs into at the beginning of the film was not bolted to the ground. She hit it with so much force, she almost tipped the whole thing over onto the cameraman. <laughs> like, oh, man. We don't have time for injuries, Barbara. We got to <laughs> shoot this in one shot. 
Um, yeah, here's another interesting fact. It is never explained why the dead body at the top of the stairs doesn't come back to life. Yeah, I was wondering that too. Because like when they when they when they first show it, you think it's gonna like I think she's gonna jump up later, or something. Right? Yeah, yeah. Be suddenly because I thought like, she was he was gonna drag her over to the uh, one of the bedrooms or upstairs rooms, and then you know when they have their whole thing upstairs or downstairs, that, yeah. that would be a very important scene. Um. In the graveyard scene, the real gravestone that Barbara cowers beside is that of Nicholas Kramer, uh, born 1842, died 1917, whose remains are interred in the Evans City Cemetery in Jackson Township, Butler County, Pennsylvania. Judith, hey, and by the way, if any of our listeners are in that area, uh, if you'd go there and take a picture of that, just send it to us on the Facebook, that'd be cool. Right. I think it'd be cool. Uh, maybe a road trip, Terrence, you never know. One of these days, we're just going to take a road trip around the town, around every movie we've done. Uh, Judith Riley still has her outfit from the film. Uh, she said the pants became her painting pants and her shirt became a dish rag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is George A. Romero's feature first feature film debut. Uh, the house. The house lead, uh, door that leads to the basement is just a door to the wall. <laughs> He's like, there's nothing down there. Uh, the basement set was the basement of the cruise offices in Pittsburgh, as we discussed yep. earlier. Um, the character of Ben, which we talked about, was written without race in mind, and Russell and Romero note they didn't factor color into casting him. Romero points out they, they didn't change the script or the character once Dwayne Jones was cast. However, Jones changed his character, and he didn't want to play a tough guy. Ben was originally written as a typical truck driver, but the actor wanted him to be more subdued personality. Everyone on the commentary agrees his choices for the character work. So... Uh, it worked. Yeah. I'm uh, glad they made that change. This is terrible. The farmhouse that they used didn't have running water. Oh, no. So Russo, Romero, and production designer Vincent Servinsky had to stay at the house each night and settle for cat bass. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Every morning, Russo remembers having to boil water on the stove and sleeping on cots. He remembers finding Servinsky on the front porch one morning pouring water into sheep intestines to make them more cinematic. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Oh, man. Uh, the lighting effects were pulled off shooting close-up with the lights they had on set turned all the way up, almost whiting out the objects or actors they are close to. Then they cut away from medium or long shots to close-ups, then back again along with thunder sound effect to complete it. Close-ups were used because the lights they had weren't strong enough to fill any shots uh, that were wider. Likewise, the only reason they decided to add the lighting effects was... Lost in my notes. So that's why they decided to add those. It's somewhere here. But, I mean, that, that just goes to show how uh, sort of skilled a, a lot of these the, the production crew was, was being able to overcome a, a lot of their limitations by, you know, utilizing different film techniques. Right. Uh, to still make this work. And I think that's really cool. Especially for their budget. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know, overcoming the whole lighting issue, uh, which, you know, lighting could be everything. And so, you know, for them to overcome that with close shots instead of far shots, that's that's really cool to hear. Right. Cooper keeps insisting that they should lock themselves in the basement, but Ben's like, no, we should stay upstairs because there's no exits in the basement. Uh, Cooper later orders Helen to go back down to the basement in the third act anyway, wanting to keep her saved. It is at this point that their daughter has become a zombie and kills her. Yep. The double irony is that if Helen had stayed upstairs, she probably would have survived, and that Ben survives by locking himself in the basement, which he desperately tried to avoid. Yep. So the irony is they were both right. Yeah, which exactly. Is, which is crazy. Um, just a few more errors. Uh, when the characters are first arguing about whether to stay upstairs or hide in the cellar, the shadow of the boom mic is clearly visible across Ben in one shot. As Johnny and Barbara drive deep into the cemetery during the opening crest, the windows on their cars are rolled up. When they stop and park, uh, the windows are down again, and then they roll them up before exiting. 
the boards on the windows and doors had writing on them, so the crew would know which board went where during shooting. Shooting out of chronological order meant that the boards had to be up or down at different points. Russo notes you can see these markings in the scenes where Ben is removing the boards from the front door. So, I mean, that's pretty nifty. You know, the the actor doesn't have to remember which way they go, that there's a little number on there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Try to, you know, be as consistent as possible with their consistency. Um, It becomes a plot that the farmhouse cellar only has one entrance, uh, which leads into the living room area. Would you agree? Yeah. Well, earlier in the film, when Barbara's running around the farmhouse, there's an outdoor to the cellar that you see. So, uh, (laughs) that's kind of interesting. Um, All the little things. And... Lastly, fans of the film are split over Cooper's plan versus Ben's. Debates of these have been waged for decades over who was right. Oh, yeah. So, Terrence, give me your thoughts on the Night of the Living Dead. Night of the Living <laughs> Dead. Uh, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed this. Um, it's a good movie. Uh it's you know a very simple premise, simple story that I think was well executed. Simple budget, simple characters. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it and it shows that you know you don't need sort of uh, an elaborate you know plot or anything to to tell a good story. Um, now, uh, what I think is interesting is you know obviously uh, there was undoubtedly some controversies with you know the main character of the film and the ending of the film. Right, I knew we were going to uh, touch on that. Exactly. That's why exactly. We so, so let's so, talk about that scene for a minute. Uh, so for those who have seen it, and you should have, <laughs> um, if not, go watch it. Uh, but at the very end, uh, when you know Ben gets shot by the cops, because well, they let's mistake let's, him for let's preface a, a, that first because they're yeah. go- these cops are going through and they are just laying waste to every zombie in sight. Yeah, uh, there's, there's a some whole in the montage. field, some in the cemetery. Yeah. yeah, and they're just they're just shooting them because they know that they have. The guy says the the police captain whatever says it seems to hurt work if you shoot him in the head. Yeah, uh, so take it away from there, Terrence. So uh, that that's when they come upon the house, and you know, uh, Ben's coming up from uh, <clears throat> coming out of the house. You know, he's just had the longest night, um, <laughs> and then uh, that's you know when he opens the door and you get shot immediately. Well, uh, was he in the door? Or was he in the window? Uh, because yeah. I thought he pulled out his gun, you know, like his gun, because he didn't know what was going on. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? And then. Uh, the guy's like, oh, there's one up there. The cop's like, oh, there's one up there. Shoot him. And the guy just, sh- and he's like, right between the eyes. That's what he says. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and he shoots him, and Ben dies. So so it's interesting because, um, you know, obviously there's a controversy of, like, did they know he was, uh, you know, a zombie or not? Um, and if they did know he wasn't a zombie, was it sort of, you know, a racially... Uh, uh, a charge crime. thing, yeah, exactly. And uh, in the end, you know, it could be either or uh, because these were very high tension racial times. You know, there was a lot of segregation going on. And there was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, just really heinous things that would happen. Um, at the same time, we do know that these zombies have at least enough motor function intelligence to pick up things and use them. Right. So. Uh, you know, was it just a too quick of a call of judgment? I mean, we do see them in the montage just killing anything. Well, that that's what I said. They're, they're just killing everything that yeah. moves, you know what I mean? And and they're probably thinking that, hey, if somebody is alive out here, they're not alive anymore because these these things are all around, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't, I, from my personal experience or from viewing, I don't think it was intentional. Uh, I think it was just, hey, there's another zombie just going and kill him, you know what I mean? Uh, and it makes I, I also sense, think you know what I mean? There would be sort of like, I, I think, um, 
you know, maybe it was just just bad procedure on their part to just kind of shoot anything that moves. Right. I mean, there should be some kind of like warning of like, you know, hey, if you're alive, let us know. All right, we're gonna shoot now. You right. know what I mean, just some kind of something to preface before just you know eliminating because obviously once they knew the situation they had the upper hand i mean this isn't like other zombie movies where it just spreads like wildfire and it's too late um no that once they realized what was going on um you know the the cops and everybody else reacted pretty quickly because uh, it's not just cops we see in the scenes you know you see some citizens uh, right. who are armed and whatnot reacting to this so uh this gets cleaned up pretty quickly you know um so, so I feel like they, because the, the response was quick, they, they probably could have had a better procedure of going through it, you know? Right. Um, yeah, I think it's very well done, um, being the, the, the holy grail of zombie movies. Yeah. Uh, since it was the first time anything like this has really been done, you know it what is, I mean? Yeah. Um, and this, they basically created a whole new world of characters, um, that stood the test of time that millions or not millions but hundreds of <laughs> movies have spawned out of or used some of their uh, ideology exactly, exactly. Um, in this um, I mean, this this basically created the zombie type i mean movie. and 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 there is a little bit of nudity in this which i wasn't expecting you know what i mean oh, yeah, and, and then right, that yeah. and then there was also um they actually hunker down on some legs and some hands and some bones you know what i mean there is some graphic stuff in here uh, oh, even yeah. though it's in black and white uh, so some of the stuff if you were going to watch with your kids or something, you might want to preface it and watch it yeah. just in case. Um, but yeah, that one just chawing out on that hand or foot or whatever, you know, and just looks up and ripping flesh off. Um, but to me, when I wish they wouldn't have had the zombie with a rock um, breaking the window. I, oh, yeah. I think they would just let, let him beat on the window and break it. And I don't like the fact that the little girl had to stab her mother with that thing over and over and over. She did it for like ninety oh, times yeah. or something. Well, that, that, it was that like, a, like another... it was like a homage to Psycho. You know right? what I mean? Uh, um, and it was almost a really you know big inconsistency because you know at least as told by uh, you know the the uh, the radio man in the film, um, you know these things just want to eat flesh, but that is not a sort of I'm hungry I need to eat sort of thing. This is that's, like I'm killing like, you. I'm murdering you. Right. And <laughs> and I think her mom she could have did the thing where she just went, "Oh, are you okay, honey?" and then bit her on the neck or something, you know. I, I, thought I that think that would have been, been a lot. Yeah. It would have been more impactful, but then again, you don't know with a rating system there was no rating system, so that's you true. can't say uh, there was no censorship, you know. I mean, there was all just it is what it is. Um, yeah. So maybe it would have cost too much money to do that visual effect of them eating Very somebody. Possible, yeah. Um that 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 was the biggest problem I had with this movie. I love the characters. Um, I really like the, the the thing that bugged me is when Johnny came back to after he supposedly died at the beginning of the movie from hitting his head on a tombstone. Um, if you look, it could be his neck, but it's more like the back of his side of his head. You yeah. know what I mean? So I was like, but if you remember, they said that they rewrote the script when they decided they wanted Johnny to come back. That's and, true. And, yeah. and uh, I just wish he would have just stayed out. Um, very uh, intense movie. Uh, very are they going to survive this oh yeah um, especially sure. the guy and the girl that go out to the uh, truck and you know and, I didn't expect that <laughs> yeah they go out to the truck and then the truck just explodes and the zombies are eating the flesh of the roasted yeah. humans um, so they had ideals they had you know they were in that building but you also saw the human characteristics of each person when they each had their own idea of what needs to be done yeah um, which I thought was really interesting too and then Barbara just sitting there whimpering on the couch after she watched her brother die um, it was weird. I mean, 
I love the movie. I think it's one of the all-time greats uh, as far as zombie movies go. And the acting is, is, oh, is great. And to do everybody. it all in one take? Yeah. Uh, pretty it's much one take. They probably had a couple of reshoots, yeah. but, but I'm just saying... Knowing uh, the limitations of what they had right. and how they basically had to get it right more or less the first time. I mean, that's that's pretty incredible. I loved everything about it. Um, this is definitely a must-watch in my eyes. A must own, uh, personally. If- Especially if you know if if you're a big, because I know there's a lot of you know big you know horror buffs, a lot of horror fans. Um, if this isn't already in your collection, or if you know you're younger and you haven't seen it, like watch it. This is this is one for the the horror collection. And I also Just a lot, along with you know the Universal Monsters. Throw I, that in your, I all, throw this I, in your collection. I also say. Um, get the 50th anniversary or whatever the latest uh, edition is out. Yeah, there's some, there's uh, it's some a 4K or whatever. Heard, there's yeah. special features, added documentaries, any documentaries you get your hands on to watch this because some of the stuff that they went through and Romero's life, you know, very interesting stuff. And, I, you know, just, uh, you know, and once again, a big milestone of this being like this is a movie that, that showcases an African-American as the main character, which in this time for this film, it's it and do you happen. do you wonder... If that played a role, why it wasn't in a lot of the box offices? That could absolutely have played a role. Because I mean, we talked about it they earlier. They went to New York, and then they just tried to find any film that would screen it. So it wasn't exactly like it wasn't uh, distributed uh, by some big company or anything. I mean, they basically did it themselves. I mean, we look at the the, the distributing um, you know, production company, which was owned by Romero. So, you know, he's basically doing this all on his own. So, um now, I think sort of the lack of resources, lack of budget, led it to probably not be in many theaters. But I also don't think they had the money for advertising either. Then yeah, so it was um, just like you'd have to stumble into a theater. and They go, just took hey, a chance, man. You know, what then, I mean? that's amazing that yeah. they just took a chance. And then I, I also wondered, okay, let's say they took it to a theater and it was a big success. You know, it said it was met with standing ovation. How long would it take to copy a film on another film reel? To that, distribute it, I, I do know that. Take that, especially then. That that's a it's a timely, costly effort, and it, that that could have you know, excuse me, uh, come into play of like maybe limited screening. But I mean, do you know how long uh, it takes to I'm not transfer? exactly, but um, I just know it's a lengthy process um, and expensive because uh, you know you it's a lot of film uh, to copy over onto more film, right. Well, there you have it. That is Night of the Living Dead. Happy Halloween from us here at the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. Trick or treat, smell Terrence's feet. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Terrence, you got any closing remarks? Happy Halloween. <laughs> uh, happy Halloween from us once again. I think that's a wrap on this. I hope episode. everybody's you know safe. Uh, you know, check your I, children's I, candy. Yeah, uh, of course. Social I know distance, that you know people people are still going to go out and you know have some kind of events of like you know uh, trick or treating for the kids and whatnot. Just you know make sure you stay stay safe out there. You know what? Um, I don't I don't think it was because the uh, the satellite blew up and and the radiation. I think it's because people didn't wear masks. And oh, that's that, why that, that's exactly they turned to why. zombies. So. <laughs> so wear your mask if you don't want to be shambling zombies. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, stay safe out there, guys. Yeah, there it is. So I think that's a wrap on this episode. And this episode's coming to close. And, Terrence. Yep. And, and cut. cut.